This is the Good Neighbor Podcast, the place where local businesses and neighbors come together. I'm your host, Charlie McDermott. Welcome to episode number 577 of the Good Neighbor Podcast. And today we have James Canafo, his company, James Canafo, architect and builder. James, how are you doing? Doing great today. How are you, Charlie? Doing terrific. And uh, my goodness, man, love your work. Uh, there's just... I don't know, no better. One of the things I, I love about this area is, is you see so many different types of homes and the architecture. And I'm jealous you get kind of the best of both worlds. You not only get to kind of figure out those cool designs on the architecture side, but you also build them. I yes. mean, how, how awesome. Uh, so looking forward to uh, learning about your company. So let's start there, James. James Canafo, architect and builders. Tell, tell us about it. So uh, I came down to Southwest Florida, specifically Naples, 24 years ago from a place called New Hope, Pennsylvania, which you know very well, Charlie. And it's uh, probably the best thing that's ever happened in my life. Um, I worked with a uh, college classmate for about six years uh, that uh, we studied together at Syracuse University. And uh, we also did a project together when we studied abroad in Florence, Italy. Uh, he had set up a company here in Naples about a year before and uh, was having a, a lot of trouble finding good help. Uh, I happened to come down during a, a winter vacation with my fiance, who was kind of the romantic recruitment down to Southwest Florida. And uh, we, we got together for a dinner. And uh, as a result of that, it made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And uh, it took us about uh, four months to kind of pack up our lives and move down here. But uh, it really was fortuitous. So um, after working for him for about six years and getting to know uh, the climate and the building conditions and, you know, who's who in the community, uh, I decided uh, I had bought my first house here in uh, Naples and decided that I was gonna turn the spare bedroom into an office. Started working out of uh, the spare bedroom and uh, lo and behold, about nine months later, my, uh, my newborn son kicked me out of my bed, out of my, uh. house, my real office. <laughs> so uh, wound up on Fifth Avenue, which was great. I was down there for about uh, 18 years and uh, just moved my office to uh, a larger space along 41. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that I'm an architect and a builder. I am the only architect and builder in Cuyahoga County. And the way that it came about, Charlie, was that uh, I, I've had the pleasure of working with wonderful clients that, honestly, they appreciate what I do. They appreciate the effort that goes into uh, trying to give them the lifestyle that they're hoping for. And... Uh, it was one particular client that he just was such a good client in the respect that he gave the project everything it needed. There was no expense spared. There was no time spared. And finally, when we got to building, I just felt that the builder was taking advantage of what I'll call a very, very kind man that was very mm -hmm. generous. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm never gonna let one of my clients be taken advantage of like that again. And I, I looked into what was involved in becoming a builder. Uh, basically it took me about two months of going to uh, seminars on a Saturday and Sunday morning at a hotel in uh, Fort Myers. And then I became a builder. And I, I've always been interested in the construction aspect. I like knowing what's behind those walls when they're going up. 
So it, it's turned out to be uh, more than anything, becoming a builder has just become an added value of working yeah. with me as an architect and just making sure that my clients at the end of the process are just as happy as they are as they were when they started the process of designing their home. Yeah, I would imagine the two together. I mean, being a builder probably makes you a better architect because you, you kind of get in the field and, and realize, hey, what looks good on paper maybe uh, uh, isn't necessarily the best solution and vice versa. You're absolutely right. It's made me a better architect and being an architect has made me a pretty good builder. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're you're being modest. I, I've seen your work. Uh, we'll, we'll elevate you up from pretty good. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, what about your journey? I mean, I'm like, my goodness, you spent time in Italy. I mean, was this like one of those things you woke up one day in New Hope and said, "I'm going to be an architect"? You know, were you always passionate about it, or or was it no, another way? No, the the way that it came about, I actually grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, when I was in junior high school, every I believe it was eighth grade student had to go and sit with their guidance counselor just to discuss the idea of a career path. Um, this was the first time I had ever been sitting down with my guidance counselor. And she asked me, she says, well, what, what do you think you want to be? And I said, I, I don't have any clue. And she says, what do you like to do? I said, well, I've been building models since I was probably three years old. I love to draw. I love to paint. And she says, are you any good at math? I said, math, piece of cake. I was actually lying because I was failing at the time, miserably. And she said, you know, you, you should think about becoming an architect. And the, the high school that you're uh, zoned to go to has a very strong mechanical drawing program and architectural mm. program. So it would really be a great path for you to take. And if you like it, hey, that's a great profession. Uh, she also mentioned that that particular architectural drawing class would always win the New York City Science Fair year after year after year because they would build a model of an actual house. Long story short, I followed that path and uh, went through the uh, architectural design program at my high school in Brooklyn, uh, came in second in the New York City Science Fair because my best friend who was in the same class, he built a two-story, I only did a split level, so he took first place. Um, interviewed at uh, four different schools, Syracuse, Cornell, Rensselaer, Cooper Union. Uh, ultimately, the place I wanted to go to was uh, Coop, or Cornell University. Uh, they put me on a waiting list. Syracuse, uh, Cooper Union, Rensselaer all accepted me. Told my parents I'm going to take a semester off and I'll go to Cornell when they accept me. And they said, no, you're not staying home for, for half a year. Go to school, go to it. If you get accepted to Cornell, we'll do everything you need to transfer. So, uh, I've always said that I'd rather be lucky than good. I get to Syracuse University, and at the time, Cornell University was by far the best school of architecture in the country. Huh. I get to Syracuse University, what I came to learn the first day I was there, the dean of the School of Architecture at Cornell had retired, and the entire Cornell University senior faculty picked up and moved to Syracuse University. Oh, no way. So oh, my I got very lucky in that respect as well. Um, architecture, a Bachelor of Architecture is a five-year program, and uh, one of the things that uh, was great about Syracuse is that they have two campuses in Florence, Italy, specifically for uh, the School of Architecture. So I, I took advantage of that. I did two semesters in Florence, Italy, uh, got to meet students that matriculated into our program from all around the country. So that was also interesting to kind of see what other students were doing in other schools. Um, once I graduated, 
Oh, the thing I should mention, you remember I lied to my guidance counselor about me? <laughs> I had to take calculus five times at Syracuse University. Five times? I was taking calculus in my senior year trying to pass my thesis, and I needed to pass that class. So when I told that story to my son when he was about 11, 12, he's like, karma's a bitch, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, never, I never got the irony, but he did. So um, graduated, moved into New York City, um, worked with a couple of my classmates from Syracuse because a lot of us kind of settled over there. Um, 1990s recession hit, had to move to uh, mom and dad's place in, in Jersey, but fortunately they had just retired and were moving to Florida. So I had the place to myself, enjoyed New Jersey for a little while, and then eventually got back into architecture and uh, wound up in New Hope, Pennsylvania, working out of Princeton. And then I kind of told you how I got down. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. That's, you know, it's just amazing how you got what I, what I say, always say, the universe conspires for us, right? You know, the, the fact that that staff moved to your university from the university. A whole staff. Cornell was left searching for professors. It was, it was great. It really was very, very lucky. Very, very lucky. You got to go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. So how about when it comes to mis misconceptions in your world, you know, what do you hear that you can speak to? Well, um, one of the things that I realized very quickly when I moved to Florida was, um, a lot of the work being done was actually not being done by architects. It was being done by so-called architectural designers. So, Charlie, if you wanted today, you could uh, file with the Division of Business and uh, Professional Regulation for what they call an architectural services license. You don't need to be an architect. You just need to have somebody that's a licensed architect willing to say, I'll qualify their work. And it's kind of an unfortunate situation because the clients don't realize that they're not really working with um, a licensed professional that's been educated, tested, certified by the state, what they're really getting is just somebody that knows how to operate a drafting program on their computer. And then they'll go to a structural engineer and have him prepare uh, the foundation plan. And as long as that plan is included within the drawing set, the, the building departments are going to approve things. So it's a little bit unfortunate because when you look at some of the structures that get built by these guys, there really isn't any design talent there. Um, they're really just cutting and pasting stuff. Now, I will say that that aspect of the industry here has gotten better over time. Uh, Naples and Southwest Florida has gotten obviously a lot busier. Um, there's a lot of work going on here, especially now. So it's attracting professionals as opposed to uh, just somebody that looks and says, hey, they're doing a lot of building in that area. I want to get in on the action. How do I get in there without having to go to college and become an architect or, you know, an engineer? Um, that's probably the biggest misconception that I, I would want people to know about. When, uh, when I had first started my company, I got involved with the local chapter of the American Institute of Architects. And eventually I became their president in 2006. And that was one of the things that we worked very hard within the community uh, through different local uh, government uh, bodies to try to educate the public that, you know, just because it says architectural designer or architectural services, you're not necessarily dealing with an architect. 
if it says architect, that's the only protection that we have from the state is that if you're not an architect, you can't use the word architect in any kind of information, but you can say architectural designer or architectural services. Wow. Yep. No idea. That's a bit kind of misleading, I, I guess. Uh, if I saw architectural designer, I, I would just assume uh, that, wow. So okay. It's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. The things we learn on this show. Good stuff. Um, so, and, and, and again, I mean, the importance of that is, is, obvious, but maybe not so obvious. I mean, you know, why you would want a architect versus an architect designer. Mm -hmm. So an architect has the ability to design a building from the ground all the way up. Um, another misconception is that, you know, we don't have the ability to design interior space. I can tell you that an architectural designer probably doesn't have the ability to design interior space. Architects are probably more well-suited to design interior space than an interior designer. Interior designers, their education teaches them um, basics of space planning, um, a lot about materials and a lot about furnishings and, and things of that nature. So an architect is actually more well-suited and better educated in the space planning aspect of a building, as well as even, you know, the fine tuning of a spatial organization. So, you know, that that's another myth that I think needs to be kind of put out there is that um, it, 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 it shouldn't be the type of situation that you hire an architect to design the outside of your building and then you bring in an interior designer and say, okay, now fill in the blanks. It, it really shouldn't work that way. Uh, the successful collaborations that I've had with interior designers and there's also a similar myth relative to titles with interior designers. Um, a lot of people call themselves designers, but they have really no credentials. If you call yourself an interior designer, you've been educated, you've been certified, and you've been tested by the state. So that's the, they have the same kind of problem going on that architects have. Uh, but the successful collaborations that I've had with interior designers is they're the first ones to say, you know what, the architect is really the one that should be doing the space planning they'll kind of start to collaborate towards the end of that and help fine tune things because um, they're more familiar with what the furnishings or the fittings are going to be. Um, so I, I've enjoyed many successful collaborations with interior designers. Um, decorators and designers, it's a different story. You're dealing with somebody that really doesn't have an education. Yeah. Uh, it becomes very difficult to collaborate with them because uh, you're essentially dealing with someone that doesn't know what they're doing, to put it bluntly. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for explaining that. So <laughs> let's step away from the business. Okay. Let's talk James after hours. What are you doing for fun out there? <laughs> um, so I've got a 16-year-old son. Uh, he and I like to do a lot of stuff together. We like to go fishing. We have lots of friends that have boats. I treat them very well. Um, <laughs> he's not so much athletic, so uh, we, we don't play much ball together, but uh, we jump on our bikes. We go for bike rides a lot on the weekends. Uh, so, you know, him and I have a good time together. I'm very fortunate. I've got a really good son, and uh, he's got an interesting career path ahead of him that he wants to follow, and uh, I'm supporting him in those efforts. Um, 
I like uh, I like the social steam in Naples. I think you've got a lot of really good people in this community, and um, I live in a I live in a community called Pelican Bay, which uh, we have uh, two beachfront amenities in there that have restaurants and and some bars, and it's fun to go there and kind of meet my neighbors and watch the sunset in the. Yeah. Um, everybody's very friendly. You make a lot of good friends, uh, going out that way. Uh, I like to go to the gym. I'm a member of, uh, the NCH healthcare system over here. And, um, I try to get in the gym, uh, as many mornings as possible and as many evenings as possible. And you get to be my age. If you don't, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it real fast. Yeah, that is for sure, boy. All of that kind of keeps me busy. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. I, I always ask when it comes to fishing, everyone has their favorite fishing story. What's yours? So uh, this happened on Father's Day probably about five years ago. Um, I was out fishing with my son with a, uh, a guide, and we were fishing off the coast of uh, the 10,000 Islands, which is south of uh, Marco Island. And I got a hit, and I, I've been fishing a long time. I got a hit, and I just kind of said it feels like a stingray because it was very hard and slow and strong. And I felt like I was dragging a van to the boat. And finally we saw the fish and it was a 48 inch snook. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, it saw us, it went back down again. And then we finally got it to the boat, quickly unhooked it, took all the pictures, me, my, me and my son, the captain, and then we, uh, we revived it and then put it back in the water and she swam away. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was very strange because snook, when they hit, they hit hard, fast, they're smart, they wrap themselves around a mangrove root and you know you basically lose them. This one, honestly, I thought I had a stinger just the way it hit. So. She surprised me. And uh, all snook, once they hit 36 inches, they become females. Really? Snook are born male. They become reproductive at two years, roughly 24 inches. They can fertilize. And from about two years to three years, they're reproductive. And then at three years, they transform and they lay eggs instead of uh, fertilizing. Survival. James, I, I'm learning so much. <laughs> what happens when you hang out at bars? You get all this nickel knowledge. Oh, good, good stuff. All right. So let's move on to uh, hardship, life challenge. That's fun. Um, so, yeah, looking back in life and all seriousness, James, you know, what comes to mind a period of time that you were challenged, you got through it, and you now can say, hey, yeah, it was actually a good thing. I'm better for it. I'm stronger. I think that's a great question, Charlie, especially to, you know, pose to business leaders. Um, when I first started this company back in 03, um, got off to a great start and was well connected, had a lot of good work. Uh, company was growing very nicely. And then uh, we all kind of got hit in the side of the face in 2008. And mm. I think Naples really took it on the chin because when things are good in the country, they're great in Naples. And when things are bad in the country, they're terrible in Naples. Mm. So we, we took it pretty hard. There was really no work for uh, any architects. Uh, job sites that were under construction basically got abandoned. So um, simultaneously, within a week of that, that stock market crash, I also um, was the beginning of a divorce. So I was kind of getting it professionally and personally all at the same time. Right. Um, so 
concerns for my son. He was only three, three and a half years old at the time. Um, and I knew that I was going to have to work somewhere doing something during the week. So I, I arranged a schedule that my son would be with me every weekend. And fortunately, that turned out to be very good. And he's grown up well. But uh, I had to go work in a restaurant to be able to pay my bills and keep wow. it in my head. Now, it wasn't necessarily such a bad thing because I had done that work in the past and I had worked at some very, very nice restaurants when I was living in New Jersey. Uh, had actually been sent to school by the restaurants to be a wine sommelier. And uh, I kind of took that old talent that I had. And I used to, I, when I was younger and you know before I was married, I actually used to work in restaurants on a Friday night or a Saturday night just to pick up a whole bunch of cash real easy. And yeah. for me, it's always fun to walk up to tables, total strangers, introduce yourself, kind of, you know, just make conversation and do what you can to make their evening a pleasant one. So I went back to work in the restaurants, uh, managed to keep a roof over my head, managed to feed my son and myself. And, you know, the car didn't get repossessed or anything like that. And then uh, little by little, work started to come back. And, uh, yeah, looking back on it, I said it was a challenge. It was a big challenge. There were days where it was like, oh, my God, where am I going to get a dollar to put gas in the car? But you get through it. And the most important thing in that process is never give up hope. Yeah. That's to me, that's the biggest challenge is where do you find hope when you're you just you don't know what the next day is going to bring. And that's that's what keeps you going. You always got to find a way to have hope. That is huge. I mean, it's uh, that's a lesson for just about everyone every day. And, you know, depending on their situations, we all go through it. And yeah, you know, I'm sure you had a vision of, of where you're going to be at some point in the future. And you stay focused on that, right? That forward focus rather than, you know, your surroundings, which you're pointing to. James, don't even bother getting out of bed today. <laughs> I'm no. sure you had those mornings. So let, let me add a little bit to that. Another thing that I did to find hope was I said, well, you know, maybe architecture is not going to be my future. And uh, through a weird series of events, uh, I decided I was going to put together a, a business plan for a 21st century news network. Um, I had grown, I, I had been at Syracuse University when Syracuse was one of the 19 test cities in the United States for cable television. And all of the cable TV was piped into all of the bars and restaurants. And there were only three, three channels at that time. There was CNN, mm -hmm. and and MTV. And uh, it, it was kind of interesting to be a guinea pig in that process. And then what I was seeing was, you know, this whole internet thing, it's, it's for real. People are actually going to use this. <laughs> and when the iPhone came out, I thought to myself, I think the world just moved forward by five years overnight. Mm -hmm. And my thought was creating a news network that when CNN was created on the ability to launch a satellite into the sky and be able to see something going on on the other side of the planet in real time. I looked at the internet and more specifically cell phones as um, everybody that had a cell phone with a camera was now a correspondent. You didn't need to be Fox or CNN or NBC or what have you and have all of these correspondents all around the world and all that infrastructure. Mm. The cell phone became your correspondent. 
So it was a lot of fun to kind of learn about that industry and put together kind of a dream of what could be. And uh, that more than anything through the struggles uh, always gave me a really good reason to get up in the morning and to work at something. I, I felt like I was uh, truly revolutionizing something. Um, even got it to the point where I was bringing it in front of people and looking for money. And it, it, the, the plan sits on my shelf. And I like to say that, you know, architecture and construction is a lot of fun. Um, but someday I think I'm going to close down this shop. And that's when I'll be able to pursue that idea and uh, maybe be able to launch that in the future. Because I don't ever want to retire. I'm not the type of guy to get up in the morning and play golf and do that kind of thing. I, I, I like to work. Yeah. I like to play, but I, I, I enjoy work. Yeah, you know, I, I'm with you 100%. You know, you have that balance in life. You know, if it's one-sided, it's uh, it's the old too much of a good thing, right? I want to have a lot of a good thing, right? All that balance, yep. Uh, so how about one thing you wish our listeners knew about your company? What would that be? Ah, that's another good question. The one thing that I would like them to know... Um, my company is very small, and I, I've kept it that way by design. I did not become an architect because I wanted to manage people. I became an architect because I, I, enjoy, I enjoy design. I enjoy uh, building buildings. But most importantly, I enjoy the relationship that I develop with my clients because the, the work that we do together, the design and the construction, is really it, it's the fruit of our labors working together. Um, so I, I really enjoy that process more than anything else of working with my clients. And uh, I'm very often told that, you know, we've worked with other architects and this is just a completely different experience than uh, the way that it's gone in the past. We've always felt like we were just another client and you never make us feel that way. You always make us feel like this is the most important project that you're working on. And it's true. So um, again, I became an architect because I love design, I love to build, and I love working with my clients. This isn't about growing a company and all of that kind of thing. It's it's just about being excited about going, getting up in the morning and doing what I do every day. Yeah. Good stuff, James. I know we have listeners that want to get in touch, want to learn more. What's the best way for them to do so? So I have a telephone. The number is 239 239- 821-9312. Again, 239-821-9312. But probably a better path to take is to uh, go to my website, uh, take a look at my work, see if uh, uh, we would, we're like-minded in design. My work tends to be a little bit more contemporary, uh, a little bit more uh, clean and unadorned. Uh, I, I like clean space. I like using lots of materials. Um, and just check out my website and you've got a whole host of contact information on there as well. Well, terrific. And James, the website is www.jamescanafo.com and it's spelled J-A-M-E-S-K-N-A-F-O. Super, super. Well, my goodness, we, we, we covered just about everything, I think, in this episode. Uh, good job, Charlie. I, I, I enjoyed this. I really did. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I've gone to my psychologist this morning. <laughs> That's great. Now, we wish you the absolute best going forward there, James. Same here. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Good Neighbor Podcast. To nominate your favorite local business to be featured on the show, go to goodneighborpodcast.com. That's goodneighborpodcast.com. Or call us at 239-224-4105.